Thank you very much, Marines. Um, every time when I stand up to preach, I always say, thank you for trusting me because you have no control what I'm about to say. And you trust me. Okay, so thank you for trusting me. Um, and I, yeah, this sermon series is the fruit of a lot of prayer. And it will lead to even more prayer. So it's a sermon series on prayer. And uh, we've been praying into this theme of revival for a few months now. I, I lose track of time. The years go past so quickly. It feels like it should still be March or April and we're already in November. But uh, we've been praying into this theme for quite some time. For those of you who are joining us in the morning for the prayer, know, will know that we've been praying into this. And I just quickly want to give some info on where it all came from. So in 2019, at the end of the year, the Heifeld staff in the evening, um, Yaku, gave us all a book to listen to, which is called Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg. Obviously, I'm not on staff, but my wife was still currently on staff, so because she was listening to it, I was also listening to it. And that's all about prayer and the, how, how the Lord started using certain people to starting raising our prayer movements. And now I've always been passionate about prayer. A uh, month after I became a Christian, I was already in the, in the prayer room praying for the new people to start becoming Christians and to have an encounter with the Lord. And I've always been very passionate about prayer. And uh, that book just like reignited my calling to prayer. And as we, as the evening service, we said, okay, well, we're going to pray and 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 we're going to keep on praying. And that's what we did. So straight through lockdown, we prayed and after lockdown, we prayed and now it's... Um, yeah, it's almost now been three years since we've made that decision that we're going to keep on praying. And we are trusting the Lord that He will even give us a greater capacity to pray. So in the journey regarding prayer, um, obviously you want to learn from those who have gone before you. You don't want to reinvent the wheel. That's just stupid. You want to take the wheel and you want to make it part of something new so that you can build something. So you don't, every generation doesn't want to build their own thing. They want to build on top of the previous generation. So I really started getting a lot of prayer resources so that I can teach myself how to grow in prayer and so that I can also then have the capacity to also give that to other people. I call it prayer discipleship. So we can disciple people into prayer and how to build the lifestyle of prayer into our lives. And uh, there's one specific ministry that I'm very fond of. I've, I have a heart to go to that ministry up until this time, I have not been able to go to, and it's called the International House of Prayer, which is a prayer ministry um, based in Kansas City in America, um, and they started their 24-7 prayer house in 1999, and up until today, they've just kept on going. They don't ever stop. If you go into YouTube, you say, I help live stream, you'll see they're busy praying, they're busy worshiping, they never stop. And one of the guys that was integral to starting this well, actually, God started that movement, but the one that, that the Lord, one of the guys that he used to bring about this uh, movement was Mike Bickle. And he was very fond of revival and very passionate for revival. So he, as a young guy, he studied revival like crazy. He studied every single revival that has happened 
in the past few hundred years. He read the books of all of the leaders of the revivals. And then one day I saw him, it was a small little quote that he made, and it said that prayer for revival is not measured in weeks, months, or years. It's measured in decades. And I didn't like that saying. <laughs> How many of us have prayed for something for more than a decade without getting tired? I struggled to pray for something for a week, and then I almost start getting tired to praying through it. So then my heart was so confronted, saying that if we really are passionate about the Lord doing in the earth and uh, what he, only He can do and sending revival, that there's, there's a big mountain that we need to climb in prayer, that those decades and decades of prayer. And I started to, have to almost have to make peace with the fact that that is what the Lord is calling us to. And if we, if we know anything about God, is He takes very long to work fast. So He lets you wait for a long time, and then all of a sudden it just seems like everything is going at the speed of light. And that is the same that, that will be with revival as well, is that we will pray into it, pray into it for years and for decades, and then one day revival is going to come. But now we know we need to pray for revival for decades, but now the question is, okay, but what do we pray? And I didn't have the answer to that for quite a long, long time. So there is obviously certain things that we can pray, but we are trusting the Lord to develop a prayer language that expands and expands and expands so that as we pray for revival, that we will eventually also see it. And the one day I was... Uh, watching a video of Mike Bickle where he's, he's got these small, small, small little video clips growing in prayer, and where he said that revival is all about the restoration of relationships. And before that, I, it never occurred to me that, because whenever I had revival, I just, the Holy Spirit and people falling and people getting healed and people, you know, the Holy Spirit working mightily. And that is part of revival, but that is not the only thing of revival. The grand scheme of revival is the restoration of relationships. And in the earth, that's what we see. We see so many broken relationships. And I started praying about revival, and the Lord started slowly but surely revealing to me certain things in the context of restored relationships that we need to start making part of our prayer language so that we can pray into that, so that we can see that happening in the earth. So there's basically four relationships that needs to be restored for us as human beings. First of all, it's our relationship with God. Secondly, it is our relationship with nature or with the creation. Thirdly, it's our relationships with ourselves. Sometimes we don't like ourselves that much. And fourthly, it's our relationships with one another. So, in this sermon series, we will, today's sermon series is titled The Knowledge of God, and you'll see how I arrived at that a little bit later. But for the next three weeks after this, we are going to be praying into this thing of restored relationships. And we, we're going to be focusing, first of all, on our relationship with the Father, secondly, our relationship with Jesus, and then thirdly, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And not just our relationship with the Holy Spirit, but God's relationship with us 
and how that affects creation, how that affects our relationships with ourselves, and how that affects our relationships with one another. And if we are speaking about one another, we're not just speaking between the relationship with me and Marines. It's like even lost people to people that already know Jesus. It's mankind's relationships with one another. So that is a little bit of a summary of what we're going to be doing. So this week is called the knowledge of God. Next week we're going to be speaking about the Father and about unity. And our unity is, Jesus says that, the whole world will know that I'm God because of our unity. So if we want to have a very good evangelism strategy, we need to work on unity because that's the promise that God gives us, and we need to pray into that. And if we look at even just in our churches, that sometimes even we as every nation, we struggle to be in unity with one another on certain things. But now we're not even speaking about the relationship between all the churches. We are bought by so much disunity. And we are praying for the Lord to restore that because in the restoration of that, there will be that promise being fulfilled that the earth will know that He is God. Second week, we're going to be speaking about um, Jesus and abiding in Jesus. We had the abide theme the entire this year. So we're going to be again speaking about that. Why? Because Jesus says, if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit. So if you want to see revival, you need to abide because revival is part of that what Jesus, only Jesus can do. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit, which is the power and the empowerment that we need to, to operate in revival. So, what is revival? That's a, that's a question that I, for long, I don't necessarily know how to answer, but I think it's quite simple if we know the Bible. And for me... The revival is basically the ministry of Jesus. And as we see the ministry of Jesus, as it is told in the New Testament. So Jesus came to earth, and he started saying a lot of things and doing a lot of things that was extraordinary and that was supernatural. And that started having an effect in the earth, which mankind has up to then not seen. So the revival that we are speaking about is we are seeing that the same things that Jesus did in his 33 years on earth, we want to see a replic replication of that in the earth today. But then not just that, he gave us a promise that we will even do greater things. So when we are praying for revival, we are praying for the ministry of Jesus, as we see in the New Testament, but we are praying about even at a greater level. So that is what we are praying for when we are praying for revival. So one day Jesus was in Nazareth and he went into the temple and he started reading to them or quoting to them Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 4. And then after he read that, he said, in your presence today, this scripture has been fulfilled. So what, what Jesus basically did is he said that I will summarize my ministry that I will be doing on the earth by quoting to you guys Isaiah 61. So I'm quickly going to, and Jesus did that in Luke verse 4 verse 18, if you want to go read that. So in a short while I'll be reading Isaiah 61, 1 to 4. Um, just two other scriptures 
that is also very intrinsically linked to revival is uh, Joel 2. And obviously that's the prophecy that was quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost when they said then the Spirit will be poured out upon all flesh. But if you go study that prophecy, we all know that that prophecy was only fulfilled in part on the day of Pentecost. And it wasn't fulfilled in its entirety on the day of Pentecost. How do we know that? Because on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was only poured out upon 120 people. And then a little bit later on 3,000 people. Now, as far as I know, 3,120 people is not all flesh. That is some flesh, but that's not all flesh. Okay. And there was a second part that there were certain manifestations that would take place in the heavens as a confirmation of the, the fulfillment of this prophecy. And obviously, on the day of Pentecost, we don't read about any of these manifestations taking place in the heavens. So what we do know, we know that it was partially fulfilled, but we do know that there is a, a greater fulfillment of that prophecy coming in the earth. And then the, the last piece of scripture we will also be looking at today is Isaiah 11. So I'm not going to be saying too much about that. So, Isaiah 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To grant to those who mourn in Zion. To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So this is the ministry that Jesus brought to the earth when he came to earth. And this is also the ministry that we will be seeing going out into the earth as we will see countries and regions being revived by the ministry of Jesus. So, obviously a picture says a thousand words, so I thought it good to now just show you guys a small video clip of the physical happening of Isaiah 61 in a certain place in Guatemala. So, um, the video is going to be on, it's about five minutes long, and I just want you guys to see that, have Isaiah 61 in the back of your minds, and just see what happened in this small little town as the Lord started working in them. Amalunga was an extremely poor village. This was a community in total poverty and alcohol addiction. Violence, ignorance, witchcraft, the occult, idol worshipping. Just 20 years ago, Almalonga was a dark and dangerous place. Suffered from poverty, violence, ignorance, and besides that, alcohol was the main problem. If you would go to Almolonga 20 years ago in the morning, 7 a.m., and walk the streets of Almolonga, you would 
have encountered many, many men just lying on the street because they were totally drunk. We had many jails because there were so many problems. Chief of Police Donato Santiago recalls that people were always fighting. Officials built four jails, but even they couldn't contain the problem. Overflow prisoners were routinely bused to a nearby city. Domestic violence was especially pronounced. During these dark days, the gospel did not fare well. Outside evangelists were commonly chased away with sticks or rocks, while small local house churches were also stoned. Evangelical Christians were a despised minority. On one occasion, six men shoved a gun barrel down Mariano's throat. As they began to pull the trigger, he silently petitioned the Lord for protection. When the hammer fell, nothing happened. Delivered from death, Pastor Rizcaje called his small flock into prayer. It was time to break the stranglehold of violence, superstition, and poverty. As the intercessors lifted their petitions heavenward, they were filled with a supernatural faith. We told the Lord, it is not possible that we could be so insignificant when your word says we are heads and not tails. We kept fasting three or four days a week, and every Saturday we held a prayer vigil. And that was what I think opened the door. People started to be delivered, men started to be saved and come to church. It was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. A revival, I would call it. And then after uh, many signs and wonders started taking place and, and uh, a lot of mass deliverances from demonic oppression, um, churches started growing. Is it true today that when people pray the skies will break kings and queens will shake yes it's true and I believe it 1994 the last of Almalonga's four jails closed the remodeled building is now called the Hall of Honor for police chief Santiago these are the good times you don't have any jails in town now? Because you don't need them? Even the town's agricultural base has come to life. For years, crop yields around Almalonga suffered from a combination of arid land and poor work habits. But as the people have turned to God, they have seen a remarkable transformation of their land. And Almalonga became a fertile valley. It is so fertile, the, the land is so, so good. They produce the best vegetables. They get as many as three harvests per year. They sell their vegetables to Guatemala, south of Mexico and El Salvador. Before the spiritual turnaround, growers were exporting four truckloads of produce a month. Now they leave town 40 times a week. Nicknamed America's Vegetable Garden, Al Malonga's produce is of biblical proportions. You have to see them to believe. A bit is four and a half pounds. A carrot is this size. It is, it is just unbelievable. It, 
God and is the gospel powerful enough to truly impact our community? Al Malonga teaches us yes. You had a community given to idolatry, witchcraft, alcoholism, disruptive families, and now you have a community transformed. And that's a good picture to us that yes, God can do it there and he can do it in my community. God has lifted us and we need to take advantage of this opportunity. We are a generation that God is going to use in the transformation, not only of our community, but the whole world. It is a beautiful spectacle to go and see the, the, the effect of the gospel, because you, you actually can see it. And that's what we want for our communities, for our cities and for our nations. Yeah, it almost seems unreal having a carrot <laughs> because you're all forearmed. But that is just a practical, that's something that I wanted to show us, to say, but the Lord is working revival in the world already. And Isaiah 61 is almost like the spearhead of the revival that's going to be going into all of our communities and into the nations. So it forms one of the basis of what we start incorporating into our prayer language. So... I know the first four verses of Isaiah 61 by heart. I pray it every single day, and I will, will continue to pray it every single day because that is almost like the mandate that the Lord is giving us to go into the nations and to pray for revival. Now, as we start journeying in revival, we will quickly discover that there are certain things that we need to embrace about God and that sometimes we struggle to embrace because of our, our humanity and our weakness. So the first thing is that God is sovereign and is in control. So that means everything happens the way God wants it to happen. And everything happens according to His will. And obviously we as human beings, we want to be in control. But if we really want to see revival taking place, we need to also know that we will not be in control of that, but God will be in control of that. And that almost, yeah, it, uh, it goes against our human nature to give control because we want control. Secondly, God does what He pleases. You don't, you don't hear this a lot of times preached in, in churches, but it's true. God does what He pleases. If He wants to do something, He will do it. And nobody will stop Him from doing it. And because God does what He pleases, God doesn't need to explain Himself to us. If God does something that I don't agree with or doesn't fall within my mindset or the, my frame of looking at the world, God doesn't need to explain Himself to me. And he, he doesn't want to explain himself. Even in the book of Job, Job had all of these questions. Lord, why did, why did this, all of these things happen to me? God never answered him why it happened to him. He just said, Job, look at me. Look at me, the creator. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Fourthly, we will not understand everything. Isaiah says that God's ways are 
extremely higher than our ways. So that means when we are part of revival, things will happen that we don't understand. And if we are going to only move once we understand, then we will actually miss out on what the Lord wants to do. And then fifthly, God expects us to live in dependence and faith. So if you want to live for God's kingdom, you have to make peace with the fact that you will always have to be dependent on the Lord and trusting Him for something that you do not yet see. That's always the way that He will arrange your circumstances. There will always be something in your life that is unseen. And all of this sounds almost like, okay, but this almost sounds to me like God can be a dictator because He does what He pleases. He's sovereign. He's in control. He doesn't need to explain Himself. We won't understand Him. But all of this starts to make, becomes very attractive the moment that we know that God can be trusted. The moment that the knowledge of God comes into our hearts, then we start to realize that even though God is in control, God does what He pleases, He doesn't need to explain Himself to us, we will not understand Him, and that He will always ex expect us to live in dependency and faith. We know that He is not like the dictators of this world, because we have seen His ways, we know His heart, and therefore we know that He can be trusted. So even when I don't understand, Lord, I trust You. And that is going to be the fight that is going to be taking place in our hearts for the rest of our lives. Whenever we encounter something, Lord, can I trust You or not? So as we go over, to you guys heard me speaking about the knowledge of God, and this is the very first thing that the Lord told me that is so integral about revival taking place. So I'm going to be reading Isaiah 11, and uh, yeah, it says that, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. So that was obviously Jesus, um, because Jesse was the father of David, and Jesus came from the genealogy of David. Okay. And it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So we will be going into that portion in the week on the Holy Spirit as well. When we read Revelation 4, we see the seven spirits of God before the throne of God, the seven torches. Revelation 5, we read about the Lamb that was slain, with seven eyes, seven horns, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. It's almost, it almost sounds weird, but that's what it says. So that's the seven spirits of God. But when Jesus came to earth, he already had these seven spirits upon him. Okay. And then it says, And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes sees, or decide disputes what, by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So up until here, we can basically see that all of these things happened during the ministry of Jesus. Okay, so the killing of the wicked, um, I don't necessarily refer to the people, but more the demonic strongholds. That was destroyed by Jesus. Okay. But um, up until what I've just read, we 
see that is things that happened during the ministry of Jesus. But now the next portion starts, think, starts speaking about weird stuff that we do not necessarily currently see today in the world. And it says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So that's weird, huh? A vegetarian lion, a vegan lion. There will be vegan lions. Okay. Um, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the heir's den. Okay, so if you do that today, um, I think your child might probably be taken away from you because you're letting him play with snakes that are poisonous or venomous. Okay, so that means these things that this prophecy speaks about is something that is coming. And then lastly, it says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And then it says, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth. So the reality that is still coming, when after it was quoted, it is summarized that in that reality, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters covers the ocean. So that means the, re the, the reality that we are wanting to come is defined by the knowledge of God being in and through the entire world. Now, the ocean is quite big and it's very deep, so there's a lot to be known about the ocean. And I don't think, even with all our exploration, we don't know much about the ocean. And that is the same with God, that we, in all our explorations, we will not be, ever be fully able to understand Him. But the knowledge of God will be in and throughout the entire earth. So for us, that is trusting for revival, then that is that if the reality that is coming is summarized by the whole world being filled with the knowledge of God, that means that we need to pray for the knowledge of God to be poured out upon the entire earth as the waters covers the ocean. Or the, yeah, I always get confused. Waters covers the sea, yeah. So... When it comes to the knowledge of God, is we think we hear knowledge, then we think, okay, study. I need to study so that I can know. And that in, it, in and of itself is not wrong. But it can't stay there. Paul speaks in uh, somewhere in the New Testament, he says that, these people are always learning, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. So that means that the knowledge of God that is coming into the world, it has to come through something. And for most parts, it comes through the knowledge that we learn through the Bible. Okay? Because without the Bible, how will we know about all of what happened in the Old Testament? How will we know what happened in the New Testament if the Bible doesn't document it and tell us about it? Okay. So that means that we need to have the knowledge in our head. But it can't stay there. It needs to have a journey down into our hearts. So if I would ask you how many of you guys know that the Lord is our provider? 
We just use a common one. I think most people can relate with this. Okay, we know it. If we have to trust the Lord for a million rand tomorrow, will we have the faith to trust Him for that or not? Because we know He's our provider. So if I'm a brand spanking new Christian, I only know that the Lord is my provider, then if I see a million rand, immediately the knowledge in my head, it almost like evaporates. and like, oh no, now I need to make plans for myself. I need to bake pancakes till I'm blue in the face so that I can get this million rand. So that knowledge of God is then challenged by circumstances. And it's only once we experience the Lord as our provider that that knowledge starts to settle in our hearts. So a lot of times there's like a progression that happens in our faith. The Lord asks us to trust Him for something small. And then we're like, okay, I trust Him for something small. Now, yeah, I have faith. But then just a little bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And then we get to where Paul says that I'm living from faith to faith. And that is why I said that we need to make peace with the fact that we will always be living in faith. So that means that in our lives, in every season of our lives, there is knowledge or something that we know about God that will be challenged by our circumstances. And then in that circumstances, we need to press into the Lord. We need to ask Him for His grace. We need to ask Him for His empowerment. And we need to take that leap of faith so that that knowledge can go from our heads into our hearts. And it's only once the knowledge arrives at our heart where it actually starts having a practical influence in our lives and in the people around us and in the communities around us. So the knowledge that we are saying will be filled, the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God, isn't the, the, the earth will know about God in their minds. No, they will know God in their hearts. So Psalm 95, whenever I read <laughs> the stories of the Israelites, I'm like, yes, you guys are dumb. You are so stupid. You are so ignorant. You are so, how dumb can you be to see all of the stuff that the Lord did, and then every single time you're, you're faced with a new challenge, you want to run back to Egypt. I'm like, yes, you are so dumb. I would have done so much better when I was in your shoes. So we read in Psalm 95, 7 to 11. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness. What happened there? They came to a part in the wilderness and there was no water to drink. And they were mad. How dare you lead us to a place where there's no water to drink? How, how can God lead us to a place where there's no water to drink? He knows we need water. And then it says, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loved that generation and said, they are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. But the more I want to live for God's kingdom, the more I realize every single time that I'm faced with a challenge, I 
almost have to, there's almost like an Israelite in, in my body that needs to die. Because every time my first response is almost like unbelief. So I saw the Lord, just to uh, stay with the analogy of money, I saw the Lord giving me 10 rand. So the next time I have to touch the Lord with 10 rand, no problem. I know the 10 rand's coming, but now it's 100 rand. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I don't know. I need to start making plans because I don't know if the Lord's going to give me 100 rand. And how many of us are actually stuck in jobs that we hate, we don't want to do, because we don't know where our money will come from? So I'm not saying that work is wrong. I'm just saying that there's so many of us that are caught up in situations where we willingly submit to that situation because we do not have the faith to seek God's kingdom first and to hold on to the promise that He will provide for us what we need to live for His kingdom. So when we start encountering all of these daily circumstances, then Psalm 95 becomes very true and very relevant for us. And they say, there are people that go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So my prayer for myself, because I need it a lot, because I, like I said, I am very prone to unbelief. I'm very prone to doubting the Lord. I'm very prone to settling for something less than what God has intended for me, because I struggle to put my faith in God. But my prayer is that the Lord will, and this is why it's so important to revival, is that the Lord will grace us with the power to actually have the strength to endure, to have that enduring faith. So that we will not go astray in our hearts. So that we will know the Lord's ways, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. And then it says that if you, in this piece of scripture, it says that they will not go into my rest. But that means if we do know his ways and we, our hearts are with him, that we will live in his rest. And I can promise you that when we live in God's rest, then anxiety and fear and depression is not necessarily a thing. Because there's not, those things can't exist in an atmosphere of resting in the Lord. So for us as believers, what we need to start praying, and remember I said that this sermon series is about developing a prayer language of revival so that we can start praying it into our own lives and into our communities so that we as the church can start taking the Lord's promises at face value and live as if he meant it when he said it. And not like he was making a joke. Like if the Lord said that you will do greater things than I did, then okay, he meant it. But how many of us have the faith in our hearts to actually now trust him to do greater things than he did? And I think if we are all honest with one another, I don't think there's a lot of us in this room that are currently there in our hearts, even myself. If I, if, if, if a little boy brings five 
bread and two fishes to me to feed 5,000 people, I'll probably faint. Anybody else in here that will faint? So that means that there's a reality that needs to change in our heart. It's the knowledge of God that needs to go from our heads into our hearts so that it can start changing the way that we live and we as the church live. Because it's the church that is taking the fragrance of God's knowledge into the nations. There's a scripture about that. I, I just don't have it. I can give it to you afterwards if you want to know it, but it's there. So as we start ending off this morning, there's certain prayers in the New Testament that we refer to as apostolic prayers. Why do we call it apostolic prayers? Because it's the prayers of the apostles that was written down that they prayed for the church. And it's especially these apostolic prayers that we want to start incorporating into our prayer language. That's the prayers that the apostles prayed for the church. So that's the prayers that we also want to pray for the church. And the prayer that I want, to, want us to pray for one another and for the church this morning is in Ephesians 1, verse 15 to 23. And like I've, just to go back again, is that we are in dire need of the knowledge of God residing in our heart and having an impact in our heart. So then now we read, what's on, there we go. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So that's. That means he kept on asking. He didn't ask once or twice or three times or four times. If he says he didn't cease, then that means he didn't stop. So there was a, he didn't pray this prayer just once. He prayed it continually. And that is what we want when we start positioning our hearts for revival. We need to make peace with the fact that we will need to pray again and again and again and again and again. And Jesus says we need to keep on knocking, keep on seeking, and keep on asking. But now, what is, he, what, is he, what is he continually praying for the church? Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So that is what he was praying for the church. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be given to them and that the knowledge of God, the Father of glory, would be given to the church. And what is this, the effect that this spirit have on the church? It says, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? according to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who falls all in all. So Paul continually prayed for the church of, of Ephesus that the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Father of glory would be given to them so that they, their eyes, the eyes of their hearts might be opened so that they can know the hope, know the inheritance, and know the power. And I'm quite sure that all of us here today know that the Lord needs to do something in our hearts regarding what we know about Him and how we live based on that knowledge. So this being a sermon series that has everything to do with our prayer life, I want us as a church to pray for one another this scripture. And we pray it over ourselves. We pray it over our church, not just every nation Highfeld, but every nation citywide, every nation South Africa. But more than that, that it will be poured out over the church of God, which is not just every nation. Because we are not the only manifestation of the church in the earth, but it's the church that will be filled with the knowledge of God through the Holy Spirit. So we can turn to two, and if it's unpractical, three, try have it to two, then we can pray more. And, uh, and let's pray this over one another. But not just pray this once over one another, pray this that the Lord will give us a spirit of endurance to keep on praying this over us as a church. So as you guys find your prayer partners and you start making your groups, just a summary of what we are going to be praying. We're going to be praying that the Lord will give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And that that knowledge will open up the eyes of our hearts so that we can know the hope that is in Jesus, so that we can know the inheritance that is in Jesus, and that we can know the power that is in Jesus.